This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer, producer, and engineer Shannon Forrest. In his 20-plus years as one of Nashville's top session drummers, Shannon's constantly in demand for practically every top artist the town produces. Just a few of the artists he's worked with include Brooks and Dunn, Taylor Swift, Rascal Flatts, Carrie Underwood, The Chieftains, Willie Nelson, Ricky Skaggs, Trisha Yearwood, Leanne Womack, Jerry Douglas, Merle Haggard, Toto, and many, many others. Shannon has received the Academy of Country Music's Top Drummer of the Year multiple times. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So this is the time that I set up the interview, but I want to be as brief as possible so we can get right to it. I encourage you to listen to this interview maybe multiple times. Uh, Shannon gets really into the weeds about lots of very, very important things. A quick shout out to a couple friends, Matt Iceman, who helped contribute some questions and topics to this conversation. He and I are huge fanboys of Shannon, and to my friend and producer Jimmy Ritchie for connecting me with Shannon. Uh, the music you're hearing now is from Tom Bukovac's solo record called Plexi Soul. You can find that on Bandcamp. I highly encourage you to check that out. Shannon is all over it, playing and doing some producing and engineering at his studio. So check that out. But let's not waste any more time. Here is my conversation with Shannon Forrest. Most people that know much about me at all know that, at least from my early days, I was very much a, a fan of Jeff Beccaro, and then people can mm-hmm. see the trajectory of, 
of how that went and 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 how I spent some time with those guys, which was yeah. wonderful, and I'm the best of friends with all those guys still. Uh, and you know, people ask me a lot about Jeff and this and that, but uh, as far as confidence goes, I can tell you this: like I never asked those guys anything about Jeff in all the years I was there. Never, mm-hmm. never. Right? It was like it's just not the right play it's not the right anything and it's just not the once you're on a gig like that you're there to be a peer not a not a fan you know what i mean and 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 so once they understand your reverence and understanding of something maybe you can you know bring it up but usually you know uh he was ever jeff was ever present in that that situation anyway amongst those guys it was it was amazing how daily he was you know uh uh, acknowledged you know just always there but the only question i ever asked uh, Steve Procaro, one day as we were leaving the bus, it just hit me in the moment to ask it again, down to confidence. Like, you know, it's like you don't want to do something awkward. You don't want to compromise the integrity of the professional thing by coming in at, at this other angle. Anyway, I just asked him, I said, hey, man, let me ask you something. Because the thing I perceive and realize as a much older, you know, uh, mature musician is what we all are into in artists that we like is their committed confidence in their own identity, basically, right? Mm-hmm. I said, man, where did Jeff get that confidence? You know, because that's what I hear the most in his playing. You know, yeah. it's just like, where'd that confidence? He goes, all he did was he said, right, he got that and I got anxiety. And he just walked off out of the bus. You know, he wasn't pissed, you know what I mean? But it was like, yeah, yeah exactly. You know, you get you good. Who knows where that came from? Because I grew up in the same house and he was that you're exactly right he had otherworldly confidence and i grew up in the same house and and i'm an anxious person you know what i mean yeah 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 so confidence is such a um it's everything and i guess if we were to go as things are arriving to me the importance of what confidence is about when it comes to playing to drummers i always kind of come back to these days and i can hear it in my own playing i get frustrated with myself when when i when i um ignore this or lose contact with it it's what's behind a note that makes people feel something not the the not the amount of notes or the you know the speed or anything like that it's what's behind a note and that is confidence or authenticity or whatever that is you know everything's been played can you connect with what you're playing in the moment with some level of truth and your own confidence about the decision you're making to play what you're playing in that moment. So to dig into that, yeah. here you are respecting yeah. the situation with Toto, playing the parts and yet doing it the way you do it yeah, and making those guys feel comfortable. Not just recreating, not trying to sound like Jeff, but yeah. do you, mm-hmm. but like have reverence for the parts yeah, and not being like... With con- like not being ashamed about, look, I'm going to do what Jeff did on right. this part, right? Um, and I'm not going to make any excuses about it. Yeah, it's still going to be me no matter what. Mm-hmm. That's right. I could, I wish I could play like Jeff, but I look at it. If for any drummer out there, there's a reason we're still talking about Jeff 30 years later. Like yeah. young drummers that that would have <laughs> been born after Jeff was here and gone. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, still yeah. understand the importance and value of his playing, and you know that's really about. I tell guys like I when I went out there there were there were and and the times I've played other people's music you know uh where you walk into something that's a known quantity to people there's an expectation I view it when I'm playing something like that like is if I'm in the audience. And I also love the songs themselves. So it's like, I'm not wanting to try to sound like someone else, but you want to give the song the reverence it deserves, right? And certain drummers are easier 
to insinuate your own personality into the interpretation of music after the fact than others, right? Mm -hmm. And and Jeff, because he played so much what David Page said and you know, and everyone would know, you know, he always played for the song, right? And you don't play for your own, you know, drumming, uh, uh, you know, um, self-indulgent, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever you will. Uh, you know, what gets you hired is playing music for the song and as a result for the artist. And, yeah. and Jeff's parts, the fills, the composition of those things, there's a re they turn a phrase in a certain way that I literally it's the choices I make when I play records I can, you know you can sit here and you can play and you got to have you know 10 different things I could play to get from the verse to the chorus which one has the most impact you know Jeff was so adept in his confidence and vocabulary of what he chose to play which if you look at him over a long period of time it it, it was it was a very specific vocabulary that he did not vary from very much you right know, from the earliest days of his playing if you go back and look at, at even some of the more technically minded things that he played like like what he chose to stick with was things that he felt like he could express himself through mm -hmm. and those things sound new every time you do it if you're committed to the moment that you're playing them in right had the joy of interviewing don perry about a year ago yeah and i've brought this up probably a half a dozen times he said my definition of chops is being able to express your ideas with clarity yeah absolutely and that to me blew my mind because with the onslaught of information and everything that we're seeing online it's overwhelming mm -hmm. to see what everybody is putting out and think oh my gosh where do i fit in this i can't do what this guy just did on instagram that doesn't matter what is it that you have to say and 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 how can you do it but with the most clarity, I, I thought that's that's brilliant, and it sounds like that's what Jeff. Oh yeah, embodied. He never, he, and again, that's that's where confidence comes in because when mm -hmm. you look at a guy, his body of work and a certain vocabulary of playing, and never feeling the need—not just need, but the understanding of self—to not stray from from your strength. You know what I mm. mean? If you have something that only you can do, don't do anything else. You know what I mean? Did you ever check out Robin Flan's? book i haven't yet okay yeah um i had a chance to have her on and 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 read his book and there were examples of him saying uh i i'm not your guy for this mm -hmm. track mm -hmm. but i know who, who would be great for it yeah that's just nobody does my, that right you yeah, know yeah yeah that blows my mind yeah i think P peter erskine is the only other person that i've heard mm -hmm. say that yeah and um and i read some very um I think it was fairly recent, glowing, you know, kind of tribute that Peter said about Jeff, you know, mm -hmm. as far as he heard some track that Jeff played on for Mike McDonald uh, and thought it was like the perfect drum track, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, in the moment that he heard it. So this would have been in the 80s and what he was trying to do on his path and listening to that going, yeah. man, you know, I don't know how you play any better than that, you know. What, what more is there to yeah. do? Yeah, and that that um, you know what Don was saying. You know, I I, I kind of make the um, that thing is really tough. It, it's uh, the um, YouTube, Instagram, the constant uh, barrage of 
you know, eight-year-old uh, Asian children that can play drums better than I can. You know, you know what I mean. Like, and that's not meant as any kind of slight. This is a fucking fact. I know. You know what I mean. Like, there's something going on in the culture yeah. that that can uh, uh, foster these uh, virtuoso prodigies. You know, that's just a fact. It's it's. You know what I mean. I because I, I put one on my Instagram because I get so tired of seeing this note-laden bullshit. Because I it starts to become a den of noise and I can't differentiate one guy that can play those particular you know sequences of notes from another yeah you know and so i just blasted this eight-year-old girl up just fucking killing i mean <laughs> killing and so i'm going okay next you know what i mean yeah. what what do you have to say is really what it comes down to right yeah and and to me the the the, the true where excellence comes in 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 musicianship or artistry is not about virtuosity it's like what, what I think Doan was saying. My way of saying that is it's how excellent can you be at expressing your voice. Yes. It's not about chops or technique. I mean, it can be if that's, your, if that's the medium that you uh, communicate in. Then if you're playing high-level fusion jazz, then you got to have some chops. Right. You know? But to a per- the layman that's experiencing the art that you're creating... It's about the clarity of your voice that matters, you know, what Dome was saying. You yeah. know, it's, it's like how succinct and committed to your form of expression are you? Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, that's why um, something I, I make, the, uh, I kind of equate this like someone who, who like uh, um, Bob Dylan, right, who on some level as a singer or vocalist is like he has a, he's a stylist, yeah. you know. And the music people could perceive as being, you know, a, a simpler form of music, if you will. But the level of expression is is on such a level of heightened individualism and virtuosity in its own form that it's equal to what Donald Fagan does with Steely Dan, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. If 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 they didn't do that, uh, and it required the musicians that it required to make those records the way they did, it would have sounded like Grateful Dead or some sort of jam band. You know what I mean? A convoluted mess. Yeah. One requires a certain amount of uh, discipline. Exactly. And that goes to, like, what kind of musician do you want to be? Right. And what avenue because there are multiple avenues now there are those that are carving out a career carving out a niche in with other companies you know getting endorsements just as an example Mm -hmm. you have these people that are getting huge followers on instagram and becoming you know instagram drummers yes getting endorsements and then people are why is this person getting endorsements like well because that's marketing oh man I had a long conversation with Rich Mangicaro and different folks inside the industry uh, as this thing was sort of taking shape, you know. Um, you know, people will ask me, it's like, for anyone listening that's out there on the other side of it, feel like if I could just get, you know, some benefactor, Pearl, or somebody to come in and give me an endorsement. And it's like, endorsements only come when you don't need them. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It, it, that, oh, that's, yeah, excellent. That's, yeah. that's just the nature of what it is. By the time you're, some, it, they're always reciprocal. You know, very seldom do they come out and champion the cause of someone. You know what I mean? It's it's they give things away when there's a, a, a you know financial 
a, a vantage point for for them. And these and I've taken the approach over the years that I don't want to be in a relationship on that level that's not reciprocal. So I don't call in asking for things when I'm not you know uh, doing things that I feel like measure to to the equity of the re- that relationship. Yeah, yeah. But but I was also on the other end of that as a young player, mm-hmm. thinking it worked the other way. You know, and it just doesn't. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, they don't come exactly. in and go, hey, we found this diamond in the rough and you just wait till you hear about it. It's like, no, by the time people start helping you out, you didn't really need it. You know, yeah. it just is business at that point. One more thing I want to talk about while we were hanging yeah. on the Toto and, and Jeff thing yeah. was I've got this great quote from you. It says, so many people can play the shuffle to Rosanna and it sounds like a bad rudiment. But when Jeff plays it, it's got all this information in it. Yeah, we know how it's played. We, mm-hmm. It's been studied. It's you can look it up on YouTube. Everybody, there's multiple videos of people demonstrating mm-hmm. that shuffle. I've been working on it for. Can you unpack that when you say when Jeff plays it, it's got all this? First of all, I guess yeah. could you unpack? It sounds like a bad rudiment. I love that. Well, guys tend to play. They don't understand the interdynamics of it. You know what I mean? Or the the variation on the swing. So if you have, if you have three triplets, it's not as simple as the first and, and, and second, uh, first and third note of that triplet. Yeah. If you can program that with a drum machine and play that, it doesn't sound like Jeff. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's like, and that's where you get into the shuffle being sort of this uh, elusive thing that's such a beautiful take on it. It's there's so much uh, available to different drummers to to define that swing in their own way, you know. Yeah. And Jeff, even Jeff played that that groove differently through the years. Like on the record, it's it's very it's a very tight, uh, almost bebop sounding. It's like it's like a bassy it's very swing. bright. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And and uh, later on, he he played it a little differently more richie hayward meets rock and rollish with his right hand like even within his own playing it it evolved toward the room he was playing it in i think they kind of tried to make those things more and more rock and roll and if you listen to the record it's sort of a feathery light touch to it you know what i mean versus the the way that it sort of uh, evolved over the years for his playing it, it you know and he played it to me the best you know what i mean i mean there's other guys i love to hear playing it but but it's about interdynamics i mean if you really want to study that thing um and I did hard. I just wanted, you know, and we didn't have these things available to us. That's the other thing about visually being able to see someone play. You had to use your ear, you know, and there's something valuable uh, about that exercise of having to really listen hard because it's like a forced humility. Like when you, if you have to listen, you can't just watch it. It makes you pay real close attention to what you're doing and how it sounds compared to what you're make, trying to make it sound like rather than, oh, I can see it. My hands are doing that next. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's, it's changed that uh, mm-hmm. to a degree, I think. I think it's great. It gives you access to really, you can expand yourself quickly through, through, the, through the, uh, you know, the access to, to the visual representation of these players, you know. But compositionally and depth wise it, it kind of it, it tends to in my mind kind of push you steps down the road past there's some sort of struggle that it gets you over you know what mm-hmm. i mean uh but you know jeff's thing to be more specific about your question um it's distance and this has to do i mean i we can go deep on this for a minute your listeners i think would uh would take something away from this uh 
I can it can get down to the sound of hi hat cymbals sometimes, right? It's like I when I'm wanting to to play a specific groove that articulates a certain way, I'll get bugged at my my hi hats. Like God, these things just sound like trash can lids or something. They sound so heavy or like they don't articulate. As you go, well, you're playing them too fucking hard. <laughs> if you wanted to sound like the point of reference you're coming from so it's like oh i realized the other day i had a set of 2002s up and i was just i worked my right hand to some up-tempo things that jeff played still to this day you know what i mean oh, wow. i just kind of keep a check on myself of like <laughs> where are my muscles because like there's an algero tune called morning that jeff played that's a very bright up-tempo it's much faster than than rosanna you know what yeah. i mean and it's like i kind of keep police myself by going can i play along with that mm -hmm. and when you start playing that you realize oh shit man when I when I was playing these two thousand twos and I played them lighter when I when the actual geometry and physics of my hand changed, my the hi hats actually sound much more like what I what I'm hearing. It's like oh he wasn't playing. If you play them hard, all those strokes and the physics of everything become a different thing, and it's just a different articulation of that groove. So I mean we could go on and on and on. About well, it that, goes you know? it goes back to the whole idea of how do you perform in the studio compared to live. Yeah. And what Jeff did, he recognized that. I'm curious to know how you played Rosanna yeah. with Toto live. Well, you know, I, th I would say that my articulation of it, if anything, would be would have been more towards, the, you know, where Jeff was playing it in the, in the, nine, you know, the 90s, toward the back end of uh -huh. things, which uh -huh. is, you know, they would even, he would just play it with the open hi-hat, you know what I mean, just trying to make it rock and roll. And, and, and Paige would even say things about that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, open that hi-hat, crack that thing, play it like a rock rock song you know what i mean and, mm -hmm. and 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 so it evolved that way and but as far as the swing goes you know when you get in what i would say like if you're looking at those triplets in a bebop way you know you push that that third triplet toward a 16th note and it gets that real snappy uptown bebop did it did it did it that real tight thing you know mm -hmm. you get into the memphis side of things that third triplet has moved more toward an eighth note that's sort of half in kind of thing yeah, so there's yeah, so many yeah. ways you can play it um, but yeah, it was, a, it, it was something that you take measure of in, 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 in our, you know, when you're sitting down to play that groove, does it articulate, um, can you hear literally, like if I'm going to play it harder, play it louder, the hi-hats that I'm choosing to use to play that groove in a big set like that, what happens when I play hard versus that second note? Where does that put my wrist and, 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 and how can I make that thing, articulate so you can hear it out in the room you know what i mean and that comes down to okay if i'm playing this like this then what is the what's my left hand doing because you know our guy our front of house guy when we were there he's still with toto you know it was important to me it's like i'm you know like are you sitting in the audience and can you hear what my left hand is doing you mm. know what i mean like because you could sit out there sometimes and you can see a guy's left hand moving and all you're hearing is two and four yeah that's not on the house guy you know what i mean that's that's a it, it's two guys working together you know what i mean yeah. but what you're talking about in the hi-hat how i played that live well it's all together because if i'm playing harder with my right hand then those um ghost notes in my left hand have to come up to whatever the, the you know the dynamics of how I'm playing mm -hmm. the hi hat, mm -hmm. which starts to change the entire intent of the thing because now those ghost notes are closer to the volume of your backbeat because at a top lev level of dynamics when when you're hitting two and four, I mean I did this with the dB meter when I was out with Boz Skaggs because Boz had an aversion to snare drum, and and rim shots you know, but I demonstrated you know to the to the the guys in the crew like look I can hit center hit with the butt end of the stick with no rim shot involved and it's the same SPL. 
as I'm hitting with a rim shot. You know what yeah. I mean? It's what you're drawing out of the drum. So uh, you're always acknowledging, I, I guess, you're, or, aspire, or, or you, the intent should be, there is a limited dynamic range to the drums. Now, when you hit them harder and it pinches the sound, there's a there's an intensity to the sound of a choked backbeat of a drum choking that has an urgency or a certain you know impact to it. It doesn't get louder though. You know what I mean? Past a certain range, it doesn't yeah, get louder. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's uh, it, like I say, we I, I demonstrated that with a dB meter. So it's like, what is the shape of the note? And that becomes a personal thing too. You're expressing. You know, certain things don't work right. I hit a lot harder on certain kinds of music because it just doesn't sound right if you're backed off of it. You know what I mean? If it's alt rock or something, you have to kind of crush things yeah. to make it come across. To get it to speak. And, mm-hmm. and also uh, attributes to the idea we were talking about, just getting that articulation. And when you played softer, when you were working on that shuffle on the yeah. hi-hat, how it translates over the microphone. Uh, yep. Some of the best sounds that I've been able to get in my small studio is when I play soft. Oh, yeah. That seems to be the bigger sounds. Every instrument works the same way. Guitar, bass, everything. And, it, and because I have the you know position that I have where I also am a recording and mix engineer, I can tell you within the same date, you know, if we record five songs in a day, the mid-tempo thing, or we'll get into some ballad thing, and I mean the sound, the tones just get gigantic because people just naturally not playing as hard, you know? Mm. And it does make a different note. And like I say, there is energy in what's behind the note, like we were talking to, so... Uh, as, as great as those big sounds would be, it wouldn't work right in a different musical setting because the notes would just bloom too much. They have to be sharper edged for certain, you know, in, in, intent, you know. Man, I, I don't know if I can find that question, but oh, well, yeah. here, here it is. Uh, something I had written down, but this kind of ties into this whole thing. I, I had written down, is there an element of performing in the studio that, that is often overlooked, but is the difference between a session drummer and someone who just owns recording gear. Well, I mean, that's one of them. Yeah, kind yeah. Of going backwards here, having what no. we've been discussing, and then, then that question that I thought, you know, it's like some of these things that we forget. We just want to play, stick the microphone on, and play. But there's all these other things that I don't feel like are discussed enough. Yeah, there, there's a lot there. I mean, it, it, we could go on le- levels of things that that. That are sort of... Um, We're going to do a 10-part series yeah, exactly. with Shannon Forrest, ladies and gentlemen. We can do that, you know, because <laughs> I, you know, I, I, if anything, you know, um, people ask me these questions a lot. And, and, and there's a lot of things going on that have, you know, where that side of me that comes out that may sound cynical sometimes, it's, it's more pragmatic. I mean, I've experienced, you know, multiple decades of recording at this point to see what the changes are, you know. One of the biggest things that separates a uh, a drummer from a, a session, which doesn't anymore, I'm just going to say flatly, you know what I mean? The technology has enabled people that can't play particularly well to be invited into the recording process, and I'm not bitter about that. It's just factual. But the thing that really separates is like a session musicians in general it, it, it's it's your taste and your and your choice of, of what you play that that's more you know there, there can be guys that play better by light years than I can play but what are you willing to set aside and play that's appropriate to the music mm-hmm. and then with when you're inside that and you understand those narrower parameters what do you have the capacity to find creatively within that mm. that has I look at everything 
you know, everything that is played should be a hook. You know what I mean? Like when you're recording, mm-hmm. okay, you played a drum fill, but is it memorable? Or does it d- does it become part of the song that you feel is a part of the arrangement? Back to Jeff, why it's hard to, 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 right. to separate from those fills because right. it's really hard to turn. When the modulation happens in Rosanna and the verses, there's a very simple, simple, seems simple, hand-to-hand way that Jeff turns that phrase when they hit those two big quarter notes that help the modulation. One, to get the dun dun boom, and it goes into the, the B section of the verse where it modulates, right? He goes, boom, boom. You know what I mean? It's, it's two snare hits with crash cymbals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that hand-to-hand th- mm-hmm. stroke on that triplet that turns that phrase, you can't set that up in a better way to launch a modulation inside a groove it's a perfect breakdown of how to to make a transition have impact right Mm. you if you play a bigger drum fill to set that modulation up it telegraphs the modulation is coming something is coming the the notion of that groove setting down a line and getting you hypnotized into a feeling and then sneaking a modulation in on you that's two ways of choosing how to 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 create that transition Mm -hmm. and musicians that think differently come up with those ways of playing and that's again it's not to sound elitist in every form of expression not everyone has the same depth of um, perspective if you will unique perspective on things as everyone else it's just why everyone can't do it and i look at the guys that i look up to and i go man you know the i can see what was singularly unique about that and i can see what i've learned to do and maybe i don't see what they learned to do that created you know what i mean but in my own mind i see a very stark difference in in authenticity and originality yeah i think what's important to try to attempt is to figure out where that came from what led jeff to make that decision yeah and some of it is inaccessible to us mere mortals and other times i think it is important to recognize where he was in the history of Mm -hmm. popular western music and what his influences were yeah and if we can dig into that and think well i i could i could learn those parts but also what can i learn from his experience to then maybe it comes out in me in an original situation that's right and uh, and i did you know as i would Followed Jeff in the best way I could. Again, we didn't have that kind of access then. It was like, you know, every couple of years there might be an interview with him that you could find, or you know what I mean. Like yeah. it was really. And so when I read about his, um, who he referenced, which is obviously he was always talking about Andy Newmark and yeah. and, and Bernard Purdy and, and Jim Keltner and, yeah. and and those folks, you go back through their discography and and you kind of hear the origins of certain things, but you can certainly see that the the spin that Jeff put on those things. And and again, you know. In the end, uh, you no one's capable of sounding like anyone else. Uh, it always spins off in a different way. Um, you know, back to what you would say that would make somebody make that that choice to play that way in that moment. Well, you know, Jeff's attitude, Jeff's personal attitude. You know, you you, you know, people tend to uh, artists tend to want they don't want to do something in some conformist kind of way. So they look for other ways to say, you know, to say things. And, and I will say this, you know, like Paige came out to me one time about something, you know, when you're trying to get to know each other and he goes, you got a bad attitude when you play. I like it. You, you, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's the, to me, it's like, I, I'm not looking for, I feel like a million notes 
can get convoluted and a lot of people can play sequences of notes, but if you make choices that feel like they have a bit of a rub in them, like I'm always trying to play into some sort of sentiment, you know what I mean? I'm trying to bring a certain attitude to, to, to the groove of something and a certain irreverence possibly, you know what I mean? When you play fills, I mean, you don't, you don't get outside the, uh, you know, the, the line of communication that the particular song you're playing has, but you want to, you want to, I use the term lean in, you want to lean into, to, to the, uh, the sentiment of whatever it is you're playing. Mm. And depending on your confidence, right, mm-hmm. you take bigger chances. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you could say the way Jeff sets up, we can just hang on that transition for a moment because it is epic in my mind. You know, like, uh, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of guys would go, here comes the transition. I can play a big fill here. It's like, yeah, but can you play one? that makes you feel like the rug got pulled out from under you. There's two different ways of looking at that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm going to make you feel a lot more with this way of changing the thing. And by virtue of that, I'm impacting you a lot more than if you were just getting a sequence of notes that you've heard before. You know what I mean? It's it's all that intent, you know, yeah, yeah. that makes it personally unique, you know? And it just, it's just interesting to think how intentional was that or how natural was that? that uh, you know, again, that's why I asked Steve what I asked him about confidence. I, I think it's natural, but but it's natural in the sense that that's who he was, you yeah. know what I mean? Just to come, you know, it's, it's, you hope that you get to the point that that people just kind of understand who, who your voice is when they hear it, you know what I mean? Like, that's the hardest, especially with drums, you know, the people that I really love to hear play Inside their time, you know, you can hear Steve Gadd play straight time within a measure and go, oh, that's Gadd. You yeah. know what I mean? Jim Keltner, that's like, that's really transcendently difficult things to do in a good way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like you can make people feel something in such a succinct way that you, it's unmistakably them when there's very little that you can actually be doing to, to show your, your identity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, that to me is is what it's about. Yeah, I think some of that identity is so deep that when I listen to other interviews or read things and people say, why did you do this? What what inspired? And, and so often the question is, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, I just did. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, I need more information. Yeah, right, I wish I would, yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. Tell me about your studio space. It's uh, yeah. pretty freaking amazing. And for the record, our uh, podcast friend, co-partner in crime, Michael Jackson, is with me on this trip so which is great yeah so uh i was like we're going to shannon's you got to go with me man come on let's let's, yeah let's see this yeah (laughs) well i appreciate i appreciate that i I, uh you know i guess i'm still it's i I say sometimes i put it this way yeah at what point at my when age is is a reality is it unbecoming to not give up on certain you know sentiments of of you know, I'm going to show you who I am. You know what I mean? And it's like, you you know, you really this far in, it's like you still you still feel like you haven't been heard. You know what I mean? And, and, and you really think that it that you can get you can get it your point across now this late in the game, you know. But this studio was about in this community. Uh, you know, I mean, for anybody out there, I mean, I've put everything that I ever made in, in, in working through these other scenarios that left me a bit short of where I had hoped to get with my point of contact to music. I felt like I had defined myself as, uh, in playing a certain role, you know. 
but this place was built to to give voice to to who I am, you know, uh, who I who I want you to understand me to be as a drummer. Like if you take my discography of the records I did in Nashville, I can say, with respect to the artists, th- th- I was a part of a lot of uh, music that I'm proud to have been a part of, you know, but very little of it sounds like me, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I was conforming to basically. Um, you know, making the best of a, of a situation that, that, uh, that did not. And somehow before I had a point of contact to the, I met Mike McDonald was the first artist that came from the lineage of things that I had aspired to be involved with. And prior to that, I would show up in the room and I would think there, this cannot be how the records that I love were made. There's something about this. that just isn't right. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and when Mike moved to town here and I first worked with him, it was like, and I didn't expect this to be the case. I didn't know what I was walking into. It all made sense. It was like, of course not. You know what I mean? Like the, the, and, and, and as a result of that, um, I was always trying to get one foot out the door of that thing that I'd set out to do. Like I wanted to be a session musician like so many people do. Nashville was the, 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 the place that had the, the most volume of work at the time. I didn't really have, as much as I would like to think that I, that I did, I did not have the, the, the upbringing, the background, the fortitude to just pick up and go to L.A. when I was 18 years old. I, when was, when, was it when you were 18? Is that when you moved to Nashville? No, I moved in uh, actually right before I turned 14, but I started, you know, I was already working with my dad on on you know, productions that he was doing going back even before that. And uh, basically right out of high school, I already knew a lot of the musicians that were, you know, playing sessions. So it took a bit of time, but but I was working to some extent right out of high school, Mm -hmm. you know. And it, you know, I can tell you this on the trajectory, and this comes back to the studio. I don't mean to, it's relevant. Um, (laughs) I hadn't even had my best financial year when I was starting to turn down work, you know what I mean? Mm. Because what I was doing was not getting me there. You know what I mean? Like like the sense of it. So this would have been 98. So I would have been 25 years old. Hadn't even really started playing on many records yet. I just remembered the date that I was on when I finally was making double scale and playing on records, you know, like, like getting in the room with the musicians I wanted to be in. And I remember that day going, fuck, this is it? Because it was counter, it was the least intuitive process that I'd been involved with. There was just more money involved. Yeah. You know, like the demo sessions that I've been doing uh, were so much more musically intuitive than the record dates. It's like, oh my gosh, you know. So, so what I did was once, once my basically at that point, what happens is you go from making demo rate to double scale master, which is like four times the money. All I did was just cancel you know, 35, 40% of my work. You know what I mean? I, I worked, I made enough money to get by and then I started trying to produce or trying to do other things, you know, which led me to this studio. Like and kind it, of investing in yourself. Investing as you in, money. yeah. Which, and isn't there, a, isn't there a joke about a producer that goes to hell uh, and they, they, they show them like this, it's like beautiful beaches and all this other stuff. This is a, you can choose hell or you can choose heaven. Yeah. Wow, this is I don't know. Hell looks pretty amazing. He goes down there, it's all fire and brimstone. They're like, what the hell? And he goes, The demo was pretty awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that's it, you yeah. know? That's a little yeah. So those things, you know, you just you don't know till you get there, right? So I wanted to be a session musician, but you again, to to anyone we talked about some of the younger folks that, that are maybe 
pay attention to these things and trying to find their own heading, um, everything looks different from the outside looking in. You know, it always does. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, and, and it's not to be cynical. It's just like the quicker you can get... If somebody could have told me some of these things early on, I'm not sure that it would have affected the choice I made. But, you know, you have to pursue... When I say you have to stay in contact with your muse, right? Uh, whatever that is. And and if you start to become part of a process that you're all, only experiencing music vicariously, you know, by, basically by the, the music that you're showing up to the date and handed, you know, you you get... Then that then what happens is the the way that you're experiencing music is through some secondary means and the results you're going to get are only going to be the re- reward of the investment in that process and it n- won't necessarily result in musical gratification it can result in financial gratification or career trajectory gratification but not necessarily getting you any closer to music, which comes back to what this studio is about. Essentially, everything I ever made from all those dates of doing sessions is invested in this place, you know. Yeah. And uh, and that's why I say it's like you know, and I'm still trying to prove to you who I am. You know, what I mean? like <laughs> you haven't heard me yet, but you're about to, you know. And it's interesting. I was asking you about the studio, and I was thinking about the brick and mortar of it, yes. the physical, and you went. The other uh, direction, but we're talking about why. And, yeah. You know, but but you know, a lot of us are curious about the space. We see it on the YouTube channel. Yeah. We see it on your posts and and the space and the control room and the drum room and mm-hmm. and uh, need a drool bib. Yeah. Well, when we're watching, maybe the guys know this, but if it speaks to any sort of uh, determination or commitment, anyway, you know, I had maybe what a, I'd maybe you know. Uh, fixed a couple of pieces of trim or something on a house or something uh, before this place started. And with the help of a friend, we built this place. Wow. You know, like I, I downloaded a CAD program and bought tools and and uh, and just, I could never do it again. It was like it, it, the, the, the monumental task of spending, the first 18 months of it was, I didn't have a vacation for two years. I was playing sessions, coming home and putting on gloves and picking up a, a you know, a, a, you know, a, 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 a nail gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and stuff like, uh, and just doing it because it had to be done. Um, it's a bit like what I'm trying to do now on the musical path. It feels as much like uh, you know staring up the side of a mountain. You know, because it's. Uh, creating and writing and redefining yourself and being committed to an outcome that that seems miles off in the distance but you just keep bearing down on it you know uh, that have, doesn't you been, change. have you been doing anything to attract the work here the attract the kind of work that you well you know it's funny uh, because again messaging and and the way these things leave your body on a spiritual level which sounds you know we can get into the metaphysical things but i believe there's a truth in, in just intent you know right um people and i was just talking to someone about this the other day uh downtown because i don't do very many sessions in nashville i i really don't like the way the recording process works anymore um you know sort of this playlisted um uh you know cobbled together non-performance thing it's just like just not why i ever wanted to record music Mm. I wanted to record music because you could capture something for three or four minutes 
and experience the you know that playback over and over again and there's just nothing that comes back out of that uh these days but uh the perception amongst engineers particularly because you know people feel people can be uh it wasn't easy for me you know when i was doing this and i and people didn't understand i grew up with my dad i was you know, I was operating a tape machine for him while he did keyboard overdubs when I was nine years old, punching him in, and you know what I mean. And and and, uh, and so people felt a certain threat when you wore, wore multiple hats. I mean, it's bad everywhere, but it was particularly bad here. Um, people think they can size you up for what you can and can't do, and it's like, well, I don't care what you think. I'm just trying to do. I mean, I had it out with a couple of guys. One guy, I won't mention his name, a very high-profile engineer, gave me shit. Uh, and I'm a very passive, uh, uh, non-confrontational to a fault kind of guy, and I just blew up, on it, wow. you know, uh, uh, over it because how fucking dare you? I said, you know, you know, maybe you're a world-class drummer. I don't fucking know. I've never heard you play. What business is you know? How much have you sacrificed for what I did out there? I don't have like fancy cars or boats or second homes. I've spent everything I've fucking you know ever made to do this. So don't fucking a act like I can or can't do something beyond the scope of what you can imagine. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm not claiming to be there. You know, in the end, but don't tell me what I can't do. You know, right? Don't make assumptions and, and and treat that. I don't know how we got off on that, but if it's <laughs> if it's, you know, what this place was for was um, it was it, it you know the people's perception. You asked how much work goes on out here, and the truth is like frighteningly little. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I I didn't build this place to bring the work I was trying to get away from out here. You know. I'm really happy to do the work that I do. I think you realize when you walk through here, and, and every artist that does can sense the difference in the in the, the the feeling of the environment I created here. It doesn't feel like a commercial facility. It's not pretentious. It feels much more inviting. You know, it's just like a room. You just walk in a room. The first thing you hear is your voice, and your voice sounds big in that room. You know what I mean? Like you, you go, okay, sound happens in here. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You come in here, it's it's world class gear and state of the art stuff, but it, it feels very casual at the same time. You know, um, and and so, you know, people do love it. Uh, Tim McGraw has been a big champion of the cause out here. I mean, he's made us last several records here now because he enjoys the the vibe you know what i mean the yeah. the, the the difference in that but, you know uh other people like I say downtown they they assume that i'm working out here all the time it's like no i'm working as little still going back to 98 i'm working as little as i can get by with while i'm trying to make the music i want to make in the in, in the in the off hours you know yeah that's just what it is you know yeah. and hopefully i'm getting close enough to the point that what i'm doing embodies enough of who i am that it'll that it will open the door to the next phase of what i'm trying to do yeah well on the things that you want to create uh i mentioned to you before we started uh my friend matt eisman who yeah. is a former guest on the podcast great drummer great musician uh, we geek out over over you uh, over the, the many years that we've known each other. And I reached out to him last week and said, I think I've finally pinned down Shannon for an interview and, and let's let's talk about some things. So yeah. he's like, well, I've got some ideas. So <laughs> on the music that you want to create, in, inspired by Matt's my conversation with Matt is, he says, I'd like to hear him maybe elaborate on the making of the Tom Bukovac record. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can tell you exactly how that went down. Um, 
Tom has, has been a dear friend for many years. Um, he's got a YouTube channel that's very successful. You know, homeschooling. Homeschooling with Tom Bukovac. Um, and, and, and what we can speak to as a little side note to, to what we're talking about for anybody listening out here, the beautiful thing uh, that, that uh, social media has given against the backdrop of that humiliating constant awareness that people can play drums better than you can <laughs> you know side of the equation is the truth of the thing is uh, authenticity uh, travels at a higher commerce at a higher currency than mm. than uh, repetition regurgitation you know uh, parroting or whatever you want to say you know mm -hmm. uh, Tom's YouTube channel is so uniquely Tom that it's amazingly successful with 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 i know he puts a lot of effort into it but it's not a lot of pretense you know it's very natural very much just and it started on a lark i mean tom was out here with me you know as we we're trying you know i'm we're kind of going back and forth on what, what i'm trying to do because man you should do a youtube channel this is before he ever started his you know and i just couldn't find my point of contact with it and tom did his and it blew up you yeah, know yeah so he was getting to, I believe, about his 100th episode or something, and he called me. He has all these little bits of song ideas that he puts in uh, each each episode is sort of based on. So the long kind of end-around story of how that happened, and this is the truth, and Tom will tell you. Um, he was going to put together, uh, we played a live gig, you know, and, and he wanted to work a bunch of these ideas into something he could perform live mm. as a, as a you know, um, a live stream uh, for the hundredth episode. Or whatever. Oh, cool! So we he hired a band. He called me. Uh, those guys got together the day before I was available. Uh, guitar player Jerry McPherson and, and, and Steve Mackey, and they kind of worked the things up with Tom. And then we went in the day before, maybe two days, uh, and played them down uh, in, into arrangements. At which point, I feel like you know when I. That's part of, again, you know, the drum arrangement of these things because they were A, B, A, B, C maybe. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you know, how do we make these things that that kind of live in the same, potentially in the same uh, dynamics, if you will, the okay. same mood? How do we take these 20 things and break them into things that, that, that have some contrast, you know? And so, I, you know, that's where what I've always felt like if I have a, you know, part of what I bring to the table packed to what makes a session musician have values is how I arrange songs from the drum chair, you know, how, how you can bring that. It's like, so we did that. And when we were there, I said, Tom, the, the, the day, the day we did the thing, I said, you need to come to my studio like right now and let's just play these things down. Make a record of it. We don't have to, we already know the stuff we just played. Let's just record it like we did. And then I told him this, I said, and you need to make a version of the thing that is minus your guitar, you know, so that all your fans that put that, 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 uh, buy the record can play along on guitar. Yeah. There's a homeschool version. Of, yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah. It's yeah. A, yeah. It play along, I think is what yeah. you call it. Do you recall the name of the record? I have it. Uh, uh it is, uh, 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 it's right in front of me. Uh, it's right there. The masters. Uh, what did he end up titling? Plexi soul. Plexi soul. That's right. Yeah. Dude, yeah. it's amazing. Well, thanks. It's and, really and, great. And it really was like, so Chris McHugh, another guy I'm, I know you know, uh -huh. and is a dear friend, um, Tom called him the day before uh, we started 
uh, to record. This is like, you know, this all happened in a week. Uh, he asked uh, Chris to come out and, and produce the date to have have another head in the room. And, and, and Chris really championed the cause of the thing and, and, and went way beyond just the creative side to get to, to make sure that record actually got finished and made. And I'm, I believe that that's why Tom realized that, hey, look, if this thing's going to actually get done, I need Chris to help me get it done. Because I remember you know? seeing a lot of social media posts about it, and it's like... What, what's going on here with, with Chris yeah. and Shannon? And Chris is a great producer. He's got other yeah. things under his belt having done that. And uh, we cut the thing analog. You know, we cut it to tape. Yeah. Uh, we cut the whole record in two days. Um, and there's not a lot of punch. There wasn't even a lot of punching in. You know, we went for performances. And, and you, you listen to what the compositions were. Again, keeping them honest and authentic and, and you know, um, you know, uh, real sounding as well you know what I mean uh, my takeaway having listened to it about three different times mm-hmm. is there you guys weren't going necessarily for clever in arrangements right. but right. more about tone and performance tone and mood. feel and mood you know yeah yeah totally and well, it's so Tom I mean like yeah. the record to me sounds like what it if you spent a day just hanging out with Tom the record gets the point across, you know what I mean? And I think that's what you hope for with an artistic uh, statement is that, man, does my art represent who I am? You know, and he nailed it, you know. So fun. Yeah. I have a 17-year-old that's a budding guitar player, and I I wear him out with these things. Yeah. Listen to this, listen to that. He's like, I know, Dad, I know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is just adding adding to that. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, uh, Another thing from Matt, he, he writes... And then maybe I'm speaking from personal frustration here, but I'd be curious of his thoughts of doing remote recording for clients and being frustrated when he hears the final product. Whether it's with how the drums are mixed or processed or edited, I know he produces a lot himself, so most of the time he's in control of that stuff, but I wonder if he runs into that problem when he's just doing drums for someone and the final result is out of your hands. Do you do the that? Oh, man, I mean... Or could that be related to maybe the sessions in Nashville? Maybe yeah. there weren't necessarily remote sessions. They were just straight-up sessions, and then you left the date, and then you heard the record, and you're like, what? Oh, no. That's, uh, I mean, it's the reason. Uh, it's truly um, the reason I I don't say I, I... I look at playing sessions as as, as just a... I don't, I don't... And I'm careful with how this comes across... Every time I sit down to my instrument, I give everything about the date the ultimate reverence. You know, I, I treat it whatever kind of music it is. If I'm playing brushes all day, it's as important to me as as if I felt like I got the chance to sit in with Led Zeppelin. You know what I mean? It's 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 the music, the integrity is there. So, what I'm about to say um, does not chip away at that. So, okay. you know, if I show up on a date that I have a certain sense of frustration going in and that those dates are truly my my messaging to the universe that I'm I'm humble and willing to do whatever I have to do to finance my musical endeavors right it it's it's that and when I show up I'm going to dig to the bottom of my soul to give a thing something that I know it doesn't want right I know that these guys uh, at the helm Every effort I'm making to play the thing tight and with groove and with feel is going to be chopped away, and and the 
the day that I can say that I did my last one of those will be an amazing day for me. Like I, I, I've, I've told guys, I've told the heads of record labels, like, look, and they don't get it. They didn't get it because, you know, I'm still working with the guy. And I, maybe maybe somewhere in there it resonates and they understand the intent of what I'm trying to say. But I told this one guy, one guy particularly asked me in a very um, humble and, and, and uh, loving way, he asked me if, hey, do you, what would it cost if you after the dates if I if I give you the tracks to take home oh. and you do your own editing? I said, well, dude, I don't do that. When I leave the studio, we're done. You know, I I fix things, I punch things in, and it doesn't need to get any better than that. Like, and I'm not uh, you know full of my shit about playing. It's just like if you want what I do, I won't leave the date until you don't have to fuck with it. Now, if you think there's fucking with it to be done after that, we're getting into gray areas of like, we know very, I, I can tell you, if it's within five milliseconds with a click track, you can't hear a flam. Five milliseconds, you have that much width to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going down inside things, inside that level to mm -hmm. make things tighter, you're just doing something for a pure mental exercise that, that you know? Yeah, it's on the technology is just like opening up this it's horrible for, for it, what so unnecessary so so to, to kind so of I don't a, listen I don't listen to anything I play on anymore <laughs> you know are you doing remote sessions for people are people sending you tracks and then you're I sending? do I did one the other day and again everything is about spirit and intent and this is probably I don't want to lose your audience here with these things but music and everything is about heart and soul and feeling and and art is about feeling like you're in an environment where you can have access to something that comes through you that has some sort of spirit and intent to it, you know? Uh, you know you're not going to lose my audience with that. Yeah. Uh, my audience is awesome. Yeah, man. And I didn't mean that in your, to, you <laughs> no, know, no, as a no, shot no. to you. Just, no, no, just no, generally, no, yeah, yeah. you know, I feel like guys just, you know, I some guy that's on my YouTube channel, you know, watching this band thing I'm, tr I'm doing, and, and he goes, stop talking and play drums, you know, some guy from over in Europe. So it's like, I, dude, I get it. You know what I mean? But that's not what this is. You know, there are much better guys to sit down and demonstrate things on the drums, you know, if that's what you're after. But, but, um, um, Sorry, man, I lost track. No, of well, that. I think I, I th what I'm hearing you say is because there are so many of us now that are tracking and recording yeah. from home. Oh, so now, yeah. So we're sending the stuff off, and you know, uh, so you can expand upon that. So far, what I'm taking away from you personally is like everything that you do, you you need to be in the moment and give it its reverence. Yeah, I mean, what. but but the frustration that comes on the back half when it's out of your control. Oh man, because we have guys that that don't know an ounce about groove or feel. They don't know anything. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't tap their finger with a groove. You know what I'm saying? Because you could with Pro Tools in the editing form. Hey, man, uh, maybe you can't play drums. Maybe you can't play guitar, whatever, but you're an editor, right? Tap me a groove, man. Groove for me on this desk right there. Just take your finger and give me something, you know? Because you, you can take that finger and you can hit an edit key in Pro Tools and you can create that fucking line, that, that time inside the box. And then then make everything come to that. If, if, if you have something to offer in the field department, fucking do it. Don't, don't take and marginalize the humanity. Now, there's certain humanity that's not deserving of, 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 of being heard. And it's called sucking. You know what I mean? You, you, don't, you, you know what I mean? Like, the, the, you know, uh, the nuance and, and, and beauty and, 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 and I feel like sort of what defines us is our limitations more than, than, than our, our, you know, 
uh, unlimited uh, capacity to, to, mm-hmm. to perform. It's like when you hear what feels better, well, what feels really good is when somebody is right to the edge of what they're capable of. You, you know, that's the limit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, there's humanity and, and, and angst and, and communication in there. There's you're giving up all you have to give. That's what that's what's deserving of a listen. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, the last one I did again, I am I am if it's a, if it's a measure of any sort of in, inspiration to a listener out there uh, this far into my career. I'm still giving it everything I can to be able to do things the way I want to do them. I'm in here the other day. I have TMJ, right? And I'm playing, I'm overdubbing on a track for a guy who I like. Um, I hurt my jaw so fucking bad, gritting my teeth to have to play the way you have to play to, to play to this kind of track. I'm still sore. It's like oh I'm four gosh. or five days in. I twist, I tweaked my jaw because I was having to think so fucking hard to remember what the bass drum pattern was on this, what I call finger banging. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, which, you know. There's it, multiple layers to that. Yeah, exactly. And, and to me, what's universally and cosmically funny about that is that <laughs> regardless of your orientation, finger banging is not where you want ultimate goal. You know what I'm saying? But that's exactly what the fucking, you know. And again, there's a place for finger banging. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Like, like. Like, like, uh, you know, stylistically appropriate drum programming is fucking great. I got no problem with that, you know. Yeah. But it, but when it is the when and the when nature, you're 15. yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> what are you going to do with those fingers on stage? Get out there in front with your little fucking drum pad and and, and make twenty thousand people give a fuck with your <laughs> about your finger banging. You know what I mean? I mean, at some point we're we're skipping around the shit that's important, self expression, and all those things. Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I physically hurt myself. My back is shot. My, my, my lower back is, is from the way that I played all those years of playing sessions with the click track and a bad engineer. Right. So when, when the drums aren't, aren't recorded correctly, then you're kicking a bass drum that has a note in it, but it's out of phase. So the harder you play that fucking drum, the less sound it makes, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you do that, and this is, goes back to the days before there was any capacity to, to, to edit things after the fact. It had yeah. to happen on the date. And my career, fortunately, kind of spans across a dividing line of things that exist that I played oh, yeah. before that happened oh, yeah. and after. And the difference between me and other guys, honestly, is like there's not a whole lot of difference because I was already pretty fucking accurate. You know what I mean? Like it, did, it didn't need to be helped out. You know, I feel like it's not as good because it doesn't swing as much because they get in there and fuck with that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, uh, um, my back, it's a struggle because even right now sitting in this chair, my right foot has gone numb. You know, and and so I have three herniated discs because all those years I would throw my body, throw like twist and throw kind of at my bass drum Mm. to get as much like impact and width of note through the against the basically um, the parameters that were were, you were handed at the date. Uh, And that's why I say that most of that discography I I'm proud of what it is given the context, but it doesn't sound like what I actually play okay, like. Okay. You know what I mean? Leaping from that point, there was an interview you had, you were talking about the Dukes of September mm-hmm. and running your own mix. Yeah. And paying attention to the volume of the kick drum. Oh, yeah. And not overplaying. If the volume was too low, you were putting more effort. And then... Then you're with, spent. 
you're spent. That was an instant takeaway for me. Yeah. I tend to mix my kick drum rather low. Uh-huh. I've just gotten comfortable with that, but I have a feeling I'm working too hard. Well, what it, you know what it really compounds to for me with, in a live setting, and especially because at the time I was at kind of at the onset of my back kind of going on me, and I was having some nerve issues. So if I, if I played too hard too soon, my leg would literally feel like I'd ran up like 30 flights of stairs. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, within the first four minutes of, of a two-hour set. You know what I mean? And so all night long, you're dealing with something that, from a nerve standpoint, felt like it wasn't available to you. But muscular, from a muscle standpoint, it was there. You know what I mean? So it's always racking with your brain. So um, The three of us could get into a long discussion about Oh, man, about drummers in their backs, man. Fuck. Everything. He's just had, he had back surgery. And, so much sense yeah. Effusion. <laughs> yeah. Laminectomy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've, I've abstained from surgery as much as I can. I've learned to deal with it, yeah. you know, on some level. It may get to the point where I can't. Yeah. But, yeah, it's different. And, and yeah, that, that whole thing that comes back around to playing sessions, too. Um, when I show up to play a date like I did earlier this week, I play so hard. I play so much. It's, it's not even just hard because we talked about how it doesn't get louder. Yeah. But I'm playing so deliberate. I'm having to play so fucking deliberate that within 40 minutes, I hurt in a way that I could play with Toto for two and a half hours. And, you know, at the end of a Toto set, when we would play Africa on the, you know, for 15 minutes at the end of the night, and my, my bass drum is going, dun, 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 dun. For 12 minutes after you've played two and a half hours, that was no easy task. And then we would come off and do an encore of a song called Home of the Brave that that was also eight to nine minutes long. You know what I mean? The physical nature of what was required to, to do that did not hurt like playing 40 minutes of a bad yeah, it's crazy. Mix session, you know yeah, what I mean? So yeah. I found different ways to deal with it. To, if you guys are listening, that um, um, I've got one here. Is it uh, um, the... the uh, I have a thumper. It's called the, it's the green one that uh, Porter and Davies. Yeah, yeah, right, right. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do a couple things. If I'm playing live, like on the Tom Bukovac thing, for instance, mm-hmm. when we when we played that thing, getting ready for the uh, you know the show, what I'll do with my drums sometimes is rather than use the Porter and Davies thing, which I've actually seldom used, I bought it because I realized right away that, that that if I had just that, and so if the mix got so loud that I was having to play the bass drum so hard to feel myself, that would shoot my leg out. So if I had that thumper there, I could feel the bass drum even if I couldn't hear it. It's yeah, a psychosomatic sort of sure. you know, effect. That's a lifesaver. The other thing that I can do that maybe, these, if I'm playing a club or something, which I haven't in quite a while, I'll take my in-ears that I use you know, that I usually listen to and they're not plugged into anything. And I use them as you do the same thing with like a certain decibel earplug, but I'm not sure how that works. But what it does seem to do for me is it tightens the sound field back down to around my drum kit. So it's not, it's not just quieter. It feels like everything's more focused and I can stay in contact with my bass drum a little better. Mm -hmm. But when you're playing and you're having that right foot to me, is like, it's the balance of your body's physicality, you know, or at least it is for me. Now, again, we talk about the session player chops, you know, the engineer the other day, right? I'm just going to tell this, you know, walked in the room with me and he goes, man, you know, when I walked through the room, because I don't do that many dates and these guys 
get fucking amnesia. You know what I mean? And it's like when they hear me again after a long time, they are very appreciative of certain things Mm -hmm. that they don't experience. And I'm not even talking about the playing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They go, man, when I walked into the, these are the best sounding drums. When I walk through the room, it's all so balanced. Mm, You know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, it's not just me. It's like every drummer I ever looked up to balance themselves. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you don't walk past the kit and you go, I can't hear that guy's bass drummer. The fucking snare is 10 times louder than everything else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the drums are one. I look at it as one instrument. Right. It's one, one thing. And you play it all with continuity, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I mean, this is remedial stuff, but some people don't quite get it. You know? Yeah, it's worth talking about for you sure. Know, it's, it's, and I see other guys that, that I've sat down at their drums and realized that the nature of their playing is predicated on the way they set up the stick and whatever. And so you realize a lot of the physics involved is not actually ear, you know, listening and reacting related. Like part of the way they sound is, is how tight that spring on their bass drum pedal is, how, how, what, you know what I mean? There's, there's physics that they are relying on to sound a certain way and therefore if the music you know changes dynamics they're beholden to a certain geometry yeah, and that's physical you know yeah. what i mean it could go just from stick size alone right. like well i just love this snare sound well what yeah. if you have to play right and i know you know drummers like jerry Rowe that switch out sticks mm-hmm. for different types of gigs mm-hmm. or plays off the kick drum or into the kick drum yeah depending on the gig mm-hmm. and depending on the song mm-hmm. and i was like oh yeah you can do that yeah it's 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 you're a, allowed to do that. it's a different yeah exactly <laughs> the dynamics are very different you know but uh so yeah um Matt has a, another thing. He says, wondering if he has any su- suggestions on how to work on manipulating one's feel when playing to a click. Perhaps any exercises he worked on or records he played on to develop that. I, you know, my my journey with that thing is. Um, this might be a tough question for you because you've been doing it for so. Well, long. yeah, it's 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 it's, it's constantly evolving. Um, I'd try to answer it as far as anything that can be beneficial. I can tell you what my experience is, but I'm not sure that that would be of much help. So I'll try to think of it differently. I can also say one thing I know about you is you've been practicing more in the last 10, 12 yeah. years than you have. Oh, and all the combined years. Which I find that. fascinating. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything to take from that question that might lead to something that you're working on. You know, it's a funny thing. I, I, I sat here in, in, in a bit of frustration and I found a record that I played on uh, when I was 22. It's a record, if you guys, it's called uh, by a guy named Paul Thorne and the song is called mm. I Bet He Knows. And I remember this scenario. Uh, we were This guy, had, Paul's a great artist and he had brought these pre-recorded tracks up that uh, he had played, they were on ADATs and it was to a click and we were keeping some guitars and his vocals and playing against that. And they weren't particularly tight to the click track, but we're trying to make something. So if you hear that song, I bet he knows, because check that out. I was 22 and having to negotiate, if you will. Like, here's a click, here's the vocal, and, 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 and we have to reconcile and make this thing feel like it all went down together. I was, I think I was pretty adept at that kind of thing because I grew up with my dad who was a great piano player and he would do a lot of 
accompaniment kind of things in this gospel music stuff where he would play piano and there would be all these rubato kind of movements where he's following a vocalist. And I learned to, you know, kind of play along with him in a way where I could follow him a bit. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. early on, the drums were not just, you know, you could play from two sides of it. It's like, I'm the time and here it is. Or collectively, we are the time and we work together. You know, you, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and that speaks to a bit of learning to play with a click track. I mean, click tracks are, um, right now I feel like I play more on top of the click than, than I did when I was playing day in, day out. Uh, basically, I just try to make the thing disappear. You know, like okay. I, I, I try to bury it with my, I don't listen to it super loud and the transient, you know, uh, uh, or the or the envelope of the bass drum and snare is pretty wide, and I'm just trying to get rid of the click. I'm trying to just kind of scrub it out with the kick and snare, okay. Okay. which is it's even that in itself is kind of a version of my own internal time that I don't like. It's like if I put the backbeat where I want to put it, it's going to be constantly flaming late against the, the click. So it's like, you know, if we're going to agree to terms here, especially when you know these guys go in and look at the grid, uh, you know what I mean? And they're going to yeah. do so It just creates a thing. But as far as playing exercise for playing with the click, um, I know for me that, um, when I first started playing with it, when I, w- I would have been 13, you know, w- when it got introduced, you know, um, recording, not just playing with a metronome, because I didn't practice with a metronome prior to that. And I'll just say this, you know, we all have different clocks, maybe, or different perceptions of a clock. When I was a young kid, they used to have a clock at the end of the, pro- the at the producer's desk on a console that would have uh, uh it had like tens of seconds that you, you know, and you could tap it and start and stop it. It's just a timer. I can't remember how far it broke down. But they would, before click tracks, the, the guy that was engineer and, and friends of my dad, so I was kind of in his mind, this little protege, you know what I mean? And, and we would hang out and I was always a studio rat. And when I would play on things, he would sit there and he would start it and let it go for eight measures and stop it and start it again, and let it go for eight. And we would be down to the hundredths of or whatever of a second. And that was when I was like 10 or 11 years old, man. Wow. You know what I mean? So wow. I'm not I'm not laying claim to anything. It's just my clock kind of yeah. is what it is. It's, it's, it's aware in a certain way of what that is. When I started playing with a click track, it was the biggest bugger, you know, and I'm sure it is for everyone else because when you start playing fills, you start to rush. You know what I mean? Like you, the, the tendency is to get on top, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I, uh, you know, even still, if I'm playing to a click now, um, I learned how to, I'll just get real specific for a second. The click track that I use because it got take the, 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 the control of that got taken away from drummers over time. Like we used to show up with the drum machine I had a click sound that everyone liked and asked for, my click sound, right? Which is not mine. It came out of a Roland Rhythm Section sound library from the 90s, right? It's called Maraca Short, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just long enough. uh, And then I would put in the Akai drum machines, they used to have a built-in low-pass filter. Mm -hmm. And I would just filter it down a bit, right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't super bright. And that sound by itself was a certain length. You know, some guys would use sounds that were too long. It's like, where's the center? It's like, why even use that? It's a pulse for time, I guess. But as far as collectively keeping people, you know, tight, it it would be a bit more difficult. So anyway, we've gone from that down to now I just go, okay, because I show up and I don't bring the drum machine anymore. The engineer's running click from Pro Tools. It's like I use the Cowbell 1 preset out of Pro Tools with a low-pass filter at 3K on it. 
that thing is 12 milliseconds long. As short as it sounds, it's still 12 milliseconds long. And we already wow. talked about the fact that you got to you got to go beyond five milliseconds to really hear a discernible flam. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you might hear two kind of tonalities in there, but if it's like a block and a snare, uh-huh. you got five milliseconds of, of latitude before you hear separation. You know what I mean? So click can be weird, and and depending on the sound you choose, how tight it pulls you toward the middle. You know, internally, and and so that's a game that I'm always struggling with. Um, but you and Chris McHugh, I think, you are examples that I know of that keep your click relatively low. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of us are guilty of just cranking the shit out of, out of that thing and then forgetting that we're playing with other musicians and that time feel that we're creating in the studio if we're all together in the same studio. And yeah. now a lot of us are getting tracks to play along with. And then the question is from the client or whoever's sending them, is this going to be on the final version? Am I oh, playing right. along like like that right. example you mentioned, or is this just a play along? Where do I go? Do mm-hmm. I follow his feel, or do I create something right. that you play along with? And those oh, are man. questions that you have to ask. It's all the time. it's 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 really tough, and I guess on some level, it's hard to say this. Uh, I don't know what you do with it. I don't know where the virtue is or the value is. When you know that there's this um, ubiquitous editing stage that everything goes into, and so my point was, and I saw this happen, uh, once guys just acquiesce to editing, uh, it doesn't matter if you were five milliseconds out or 50, you know what I mean? If it's going to happen, you're going to take the life out of something. That's why it opened the door to so many people to participate in the recording process that, again, when you do that, I hear a lot of records that, in my mind, have poor taste in 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 their uh, in the choice of fills. They're not supportive of the singer or whatever it happens to be, or it doesn't turn the phrase particularly well, or it repeats itself, or it's counterintuitive to some internal uh, you know rhythm between a guitar and bass and vo- you know what I mean. Like there's so many things that are lost on guys, and it's because. You know, the same thing that makes someone have the humility to make their time come together enough to be a studio musician, it resides inside the same heart that will be humble in its way of listening and interpreting a song and go, Mm. you know, I could play this because I want to play this because I was practicing it yesterday, or I could play what this song needs right now. You know what I mean? And and so that, I know it sounds like a, it's just disintegrated the whole thing in, in, yeah, in a lot yeah. of ways. And I don't mean to sound defeatist. I'm just saying when guys are out there aspiring to look at ways to self-improve, it can be a bit defeating because how do you apply it if nothing that you're trying to do is going to survive the final you know, vetting process, if you will? So I don't know what the answer is. You know what I mean? Well, uh, uh, I think one thing that we can look to is what you're putting out right now. Um, you're working with uh, this uh, Judson McKinney and the Wanderers. Yes, yes. And it's on your YouTube channel. So yeah. could you talk about those two things oh, sure. briefly? Yeah, well, Judson and I met, um, we met almost a year ago. And uh, there was, we had a, a synergy right off the bat. He, he plays with a certain groove and intent. And, and so, you know, when we sat down that day, we were put together through a mutual friend, uh uh, a guy named Mark Needham, who's a you know legendary rock producer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, recommended me to Judson because he was mixing some things for Judson, and Judson asked about what he what he thought he could do to maybe take the things up. Uh, she goes, "Well, you try calling this guy, you know." And so when we got there, 
I wasn't sure what it was going to be. I just knew that this guy was like the real deal, like mm -hmm. like a real, you know. So we started, I just started trying to help him, yeah. like, you know, and maybe do some vetting as far as Mark's curiosity was, you know, like get out in front of the thing and go, well, what's this guy got going on? You know, where could this go? And the more time we spent together, it became um, the way we started writing and working together. It started to feel more like a partnership for sure, you know. And it's become a guy that I, you know, I'm going into battle with, man. I'm, I mean, I'm given, I'm, I'm, again, that part where I told you about, like, at what point does certain aspirations become unbecoming to your, to age and things like that. And and I truly believe that that age has never mattered, uh, only in so much as, as you know. When are you when are you giving up your best work? Mm. You know, age becomes a factor for aging artists because typically the older they get, they're no you know some can start, to, especially with success, the capacity for apathy and uh, to just naturally set in. You've done it. You've got millions of dollars. It's like, are you really want to work as hard as you worked before people knew who you were? And that's the big dividing line. That's why I stay poor. Yeah, well, I like to keep myself here, grounded. Here, you know what you I know? mean? To brother, it's like a, if 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 um, if resistance right. and and, choice, and, and you know um, you know desperation is required in, in in good art, then then I'm functioning in the right currency right now. You know what I mean? But our thing is. Um, um, you know, I can tell the guys out there, girls and ladies, gentlemen that are listening, um, uh, for all the reasons we just talked about, I've gone out of my way to make it impossible to make our music. Like, I've done things in the way we recorded that there can never be a grid. It can't happen. Like I'm playing to myself, minus a click track, replaying drums to a clap on two and four that was played to a, a four-bar loop of myself without a click. So it's it's the it it requires that it's always going to feel like we feel, oh, even if there's a clock to it. That clock is mine and his. You know what I mean? Some of the the YouTube clips, it's got that your cowbell is hitting on two and four and. For some grooves, I, I love that. If yeah. I have to play live, sometimes yeah. just throwing that on two and four just yeah. gives me more space on the downbeat. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah, so it's, you know, it's, there's that, and then we're looking at these non-traditional ways of what that channel is. Um, mm. You know, it's still developing. The idea in, in the whole pursuit is if, you know, we get to the point where there's an awareness of the music and an appeal of the music that the YouTube channel evolves into literally a, a window we keep open all the time. If we're on tour, it's still open. If we're in the studio writing and, and recording, it's open. You know, mm. we're figuring out how best to keep that thing from being, you know, sometimes like paint drying. Because, you know, I realized, you know, I started mix, you know, putting some mixes at, at a few of the tunes. And that process is just you know, it's brutally repetitive and, and, and not the best for you viewership. a lot of people hanging on, though. There were some day. people hanging in, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and and I think if we grow the awareness of the thing, uh, you know, again, like I say, some of the guys were frustrated that just play drums. It's like, well, you know, I really don't have time to do that, right? Like well, where I'm at in my career <laughs> and what I'm trying to do musically, I want to be in a band. I always wanted to be in a band making my own music. Uh, I'm, I would love nothing more to be able to sit down and find a way to um, to give folks access to to more of the playing side of me, but but it'll just eat up the clock on 
uh, trying to write music and, and doing some of these other things, you know, uh, which I, I will mention this. Um, I did a thing some weeks ago that was advertised. I, and again, I haven't figured out how best to use this. I did it uh, through Eventbrite and I made a ticketed event that was a live clinic. And what it was, I think there was about maybe 30 people showed up for it, you mm -hmm. know, which was a real learning curve because my Instagram post that uh, advertised the thing had about 12,000 views in a day, but it only, you know, it only resulted in an in, in actual awareness of about 30 seemingly. Now, that doesn't mean everybody wants to come that watches your YouTube video, mm -hmm. but I'm figuring out how to do this. But I, my point is I have an archive and I'll say this, I, I, I read the thing turned out a, a lot better and I'm the world's worst uh, to, to, to sign any value personally to anything I put forth you know what I mean is uh, beyond me but I can tell you this when I made this thing it's about two and a half hours long mm -hmm. what I was trying to do is I bring up a track that is new to me yeah new to you know new to the, to the viewers and I, I go through the process of putting drums on a track for someone and as I'm doing it I'm trying to acknowledge some live Q&A, but also take and assess the, you know, the choices I'm making in the moment that I'm making. If you want a, a real inside look at how I compositionally make choices and how long it takes me to get to a, to a track, especially doing what we we're talking about, playing into a track when you're overdubbing. And here's another thing. I'll get, okay, let me get to this in a second. That This track... Uh, I have I got to figure out a way now that I have it downloaded to make people aware of how they can get access to it. You know yeah, what I mean? Okay. As an instructional kind of thing, it is really. I'm if if you look at my body of work or see the way that I play, I can say this much about it. It gives you as much insight. It, I surprised myself and and how well. Um, it demonstrates why I do what I'm doing. You know what I mean? I, I have a feeling that there, there are people that are afraid to look under the hood to see how much work there is involved, how yeah. little drumming yeah. there is involved in producing a track, how much time it takes and forethought and repetitive work. And yeah, yeah, I'm kind of interested. I want to do that, but I don't want to put the time in. Or and you're gonna, you're, it's gonna filter down. I also think, as a side note, and we can talk about this yeah. another time, I think there's a way to reach the people that are really give a shit about what you're doing yeah. and how to do it yep. and want to see that. Yep. And I think through a network that our podcast yeah, we is can involved do, yeah, in, man. They, we I can reach in an, in an email subscription mm -hmm. list, but that's, that's another topic. Yeah. But that's the shit that I know our listeners are really interested in because they're serious about understanding how it's done or really wrapping their heads around it so they can do it. Well, this one, man, it's 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 a one-off track for somebody. It's nothing but the process of getting drums down on it. For me to put something out the door that doesn't require editing, like you can literally, you can hear the first time I play it down and go, well, shit, that, that, that could have been it. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. then you'll see all the nuance of adjusting and the way that I do it. I talk about sounds and things like that. It's It's invaluable. Now... As we were talking about that, I, something occurred to me that I was going to say. Oh, okay. This is a this is an important one. All right, I'm very important. A lot of these guys and girls. Had, I mean, I don't know what to say at this point, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> that works. You know, uh, if you're playing to a, 
there's a difference between able to blow the fuck out of your chops to a programmed, immovable object. You know that no matter what you telegraph, that track's not going to move underneath you. It's not the same as blowing your chops when the band might be swayed by what you play, right? So it's a false indicator, and I don't mean this to sound embittered. I'm saying careful, right? Uh, just because you can play to some EDM-sounding thing that allows you to play double strokes for five minutes straight does not mean and, and that people might bend over and go, man, that's fucking amazing that you can sit down and play with a band. They're not the same. No. When, when you're playing to a track that... If you rush, you know, some fill transition going into something, it's not going to pull the rest of the band out of the pocket with you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's, 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 that's just like, it's, it's only half the battle, you know, and it makes honestly the technical side of playing easier when you know oh, that yeah. any risk you take or any slight pocket shift that you get, the track's not moving. You can come back to it. It's not going to just fly off the rails because you just, lost of groove for you know what i mean you rush something particularly so you that's know? why i think a lot of people think or a lot of people say you know there, there's always this talk about oh man learning to play with a click is is challenging but important well a lot of us get to a point in our career where it's like actually it's easier now to play to a click mm -hmm. anytime i can throw a click mm -hmm. on even in a live situation i'm like yeah because it is easier because it's telling me i'm having to work so yeah. i find myself now sorry to use a lot of i words here yeah uh, phrases um but trying to go reverse engineer and spend some time practicing either on the pad or on the kit or doing whatever without the fucking click and figure out like is my time feel alone without that aid because now it's like the click is not a challenge if mm -hmm. anything it's 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 what you're saying it's mm -hmm. it's it's that foundation that's so easy to play over top of it's how can you do that without the click and how can you do that in a band situation to keep the band the, rocking? I would say as a drummer, you know, when you go for something technical, probably 70% of the time, the difficulty is in not rushing, okay. not speeding up, right? Yeah. That, that's probably what happens. When you, when, you get, when you play something fast, the tendency would be to speed up inside that moment, right? Mm -hmm. You know, slowing down becomes about maybe, you know, underestimating the facility you have to actually pull the string of notes off. But more often than not, the limitation is I'm going to go for something and it's going to speed up when I go for it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, learning how to, to do that and, you know, like I say, when you, when you play to these, these underpinned... And playing to a track that's programmed... Mm -hmm. Is even more uh, is even easier. Oh yeah. Than just a click. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if the whole track is there and you can hear the harmonics and you can hear a guitar riff going and you start blowing over this thing, that that's not going to move. It is not the same as as blowing when the band might you might lose the band or the band might lose you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's part of that false indicator of all this ever present. I mean, I think it's great because it's given life to to drums. And, and certain, you know, all instruments, it's given a voice to people that didn't have one before. You know, your weekend warriors or whatever. It's like you, 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 there wasn't a way to be visible or to be heard. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You couldn't be heard, just frankly. There was a lot of great musicians or pl people that could play. You could show up in a drum shop and there'd be somebody blowing ridiculous chops that you're never going to hear. Well, now, you know, this thing has created an avenue for people to be heard, which is great. It's gratifying on some on some level. But it's still sort of you can't get around the you know the 
the other levels of the work involved and the and the reason that certain people end up on gigs. Well, I don't I don't know, man. I can't. I do see that some of these younger pop artists like that they they're bringing like Instagram presences into their band because they're like a high profile Instagram musician and now they're playing on some tour and it's like most of that shit is all playback anyway you know what I mean so it's yeah. really strange it can be disheartening I guess I would say yeah. for yeah. musicians uh, in the realm that we're in and in the end I guess it's you know we all have to do these things for our own satisfaction no, of course right the last thing I want to ask yeah. you is you've got kids and they're grown uh, close close to my age, and mm-hmm. you know Mike and I from an early age, and you are examples of people that knew what they wanted to do. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know. I see my nineteen year old struggle, like, what do I want to do with my life? And we yes. are asking a lot of young people to decide how they want to live the rest of their life when they're deciding on a major in college or what they're going to do yeah. after high school. You knew all your life pretty much what you were going to do, and I still got it wrong. <laughs> you, know? you know, I mean, I'll let you finish and I'll clarify. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious how you inspire your children and, and, and supported them and their decisions being coming from an odd place. The, the best way I can put it. And I meant what I said when I got it wrong. Your fans would debate you. Yeah. But. Well, <laughs> I thought I was going after something that existed in a form when you look out, when you look outside of it, you know, especially when you, especially when you, uh, and we all probably tend to do these things. You compare, you look at someone else for me, let's say a Jeff Percaro, uh, because you want to be a session musician and, and, and not because you think that you have any capacity to be that, you know what I mean? Mm. But like, that's your inspiration, right? Right. Well, you couldn't pick a worse guy. You talk about setting yourself up for failure. You know what I mean? Like, Jeff was playing on Steely Dan records that are still iconic when he was 17, 18 years old. You know what I mean? Like, that's just a recipe for disaster. You know what I mean? Like, you're you're only going to fail. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If if you look at someone else's path, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I made a mistake in, in some regard, I would say. I knew, I, I knew something intuitively, and some might disagree, uh, but I went and played a gig with a guy when I was 18 years old. Uh, we went down and played, a, and it was all rock covers. You know, I wasn't even that familiar with the deeper cuts of Led Zeppelin. Hmm. And I remember sitting playing that stuff going, fuck, man, this is the most natural thing to me. Like, for all this stuff that I've learned with Steely Dan and these other things, I mm-hmm. feel like the thing that I'm actually pretty good at is this, like naturally. Oh, okay. And it wasn't just because maybe the, the, the vocabulary was simpler in one regard, but, you know, m- more um, demanding in another, if you will. Yeah, yeah. It was like, ah, I just felt... And so I didn't... Uh, I didn't... I was determined to do something, and I've been good at uh, at having results when I point my determination at something. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But I'm not... I've, you need to back that lens out and maybe be a little more open-minded. And... and and I had a path that I was insistent on going down, and I certainly was able to do it. But music wasn't down that path, but not always. You know what I mean? Of course. And and so uh, I'll, I'll get to the point of what I tell my kids, I, I suppose. And it would be what I tell myself now. Both of my kids that are graduating, uh, my son that's about to, I'm not sure he's particularly happy about his major and what he's about to have a degree in. And all I told him and tell them is that, look, just don't make big commitments that if you can avoid it that 
that preclude the, the, the possibility to change your mind. Because as much as I would have been the poster child for somebody who seemed to know what they wanted to do, knowing what I know now, I don't have regret, but I probably would have gone after being in a band more than mm. more than more than okay. being in the studio you know yeah. what i mean mm-hmm. and so i'm still trying to turn the you know the rudder and, yeah. and make all that stuff work toward that end and with my kids it's like as long as you can avoid certain obstacles creating financial pitfalls for yourself or whatever you know life things that tend to man you change your mind you just don't know and it sounds condescending. And when people say this to you, if you're 23 years old and somebody says this to you, it feels like, fuck you, I know exactly who I am. It's like, you know, even still, you, you know, you're going to learn things about the path you thought you wanted that aren't quite what you thought because it's never the same from the outside looking in, you no, know? No. And it's more, I would just say, try to acknowledge what you love about music your own music and 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 really be mindful of what it is you love about playing drums and don't point that at at an avenue that doesn't allow for it you know yeah you know right. b- exactly b- because you're going to find yourself going hey i want to be a session player yeah well that's kind of an abstract thought like what does that music sound like you know what i mean uh, so maybe you're successful at that, but unfulfilled as a musician. It's almost to be careful what you wish for, yeah. especially when you don't know what's really there. Yeah, and just you. be able to change your mind. You know, keep your life and keep do your best to keep your life in a circumstance. If you if musicians are a bit different, artists are different, right? It's a labor of love. We all know that mm-hmm. term, that cliche. It's like it's always going to be that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never going to be easy. Even when you get success, you're going to go, well, this isn't the success I thought I wanted. You know what I mean? So so keeping the ability to to change trajectory, you know, uh, and, right. and pursue the thing that you love. I think that's the real gift in, in the art that we all pr- pursue is that it gives us something that takes that mundane, you know, what is this existence all about and gives us a, a way to shut that off that not everybody has access to, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, and so, you know, as far as for the kids, you know, just, just know that it really is hard to know. Even if you feel like you're 100% certain of what you want to do, until you get there, you don't know what it really means. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to keep changing your mind. And do it on your own terms. On your own terms, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And again, that's what I tell my, my, my kids. Like, look, uh, your twenty mid twenties. I can only say from my experience as someone who would have been perceived as to having every you know having really know what you wanted. It changed. It changed on me. So so yeah. don't don't feel so much pressure to think that you're making the the full you know the the the, the choice that's going to define your life right now. The way we look at this in our culture, like you got a degree in this, well that's your life. Just don't let it carry that kind of weight. Yeah. And even that now the culture is, it's like, oh, you, you're a musician, so what are, what are you doing now? And it's like, oh, you're doing this. And if you decide to change, you feel that pressure of, well, people are watching me. Yeah. And it's like, fuck that, man. You can yeah. do whatever you want That's right. Do. That's right. As long as you, you know, can keep yourself a little breathing room, you know, keep yeah, your life yeah. simple enough. Because that, again, man, when you look at jazz musicians who are, are the purest in my mind about as far as intent and a life that is required, you can't passively be a great jazz musician. You know what I mean? It's like when I have to try to 
kind of straddle the line into that world. It's like, it's like so uncomfortable and embarrassing. It's like I know what is required to do this right, and it's and it's like it has to be your life. Yeah. And a lot of these guys don't have family commitments. They don't have their family or whatever it is they do looks very different. They're not particularly grounded in in specific ways, and 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 that's just about you know making sure you keep your priorities in order yeah. if that's what you're after. Yeah, I hear you. Shannon, I can't thank you enough, man. Oh, man. This has I'm been the, a super blast. I'm glad welcome. Mike could join me last minute here. Yeah, and, and, it's been uh, great. Yeah, yeah. I just, I feel like, I mean, we could go on and on oh, and sure on, but I could. feel like, yeah. <laughs> but we, we've covered just about everything that I, I wanted to cover today. And um, I know uh, we have some, many listeners that are excited about uh, having you on. And, and Yeah, and I always feel like I talk very little about drums, so I hope these guys aren't, you know, frustrated with this, you know, it's like, uh, no. we talked a bit, you know, about the hands and things. If you, if we, if we want to go do another one at some point where you want to really talk about the nuts and bolts of playing, well, you know, we can do that. I would, well, two things. I would love to come. I'd love to have you on again, uh, at some point for sure, for sure. Uh, but one thing I do send out to my, uh, guests that I didn't send out to you cause I felt like the conversation had already kind of been established yeah. is, is that, Hey, anything's on the table Yeah. and we pride ourselves on talking about, uh, lots of other things besides drums because yeah. this is about the working musician, the working yes, drummer there you go. that, um, we're not talking a lot of, uh, nerdy drum stuff. Um, uh, because I feel like it gets covered. And um, which is great, and I like to dig into that stuff. Let me throw one more yeah, thing in there. Please. When we talk about what uh, confidence is, not some metaphysical thing that certain people are gifted with or not. I've had varying degrees of my own confidence, and, and confidence in my mind is about how more prepared are you than what is required of you. Period. Yeah. So if you're looking for confidence, if there's one thing I could say. It is about how much do you have in, in reserve versus what is required on any given day. And that requires constantly expanding yourself and working to, to broaden what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. You know? With that. Well, I like that. We, we bookend this conversation with confidence. Yeah. To the beginning and the end. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I'm hitting stop. Yep. I think this thing is working. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Shannon. It's been a blast. So there you go. My conversation with Shannon Forrest. I want to thank him for his time and hosting us at his studio. Also, thanks to Mike Jackson for uh, running shotgun with me and coming along for the ride on that interview. It was a lot of fun to have him along with me on that interview. Uh, I'm real excited to know what you all think. Um, Shannon, again, like I said at the beginning, he is a huge influence on me and just such an amazing musician and drummer. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with Kansas City jazz drummer Brian Stever. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Uh, please stay safe, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.